This podcast is a production of Phoenix Media. Explore more episodes of this show and other great shows on the Phoenix Media Podcast Network by visiting phoenixmedia.us. The views expressed do not necessarily represent those of the company or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners. Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. And now, it's Percy! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the Honorable Mr. Malice. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Tracy, protector of law and order. Did you Tracy fans ever happen to wonder what laws our country lived under during the Revolutionary War? From your history, you'll remember that the Declaration of Independence was signed in 1776, but it wasn't until 1787, 11 years later, that our present Constitution was ratified. But what was done in the years in between? Well, actually, soon after the colonists declared that they were independent of all foreign rule, a committee began work on a Constitution. They called it the Articles of Confederation. Well, a little over a year after the signing of the Declaration of Independence on November 15th, 1777, exactly 170 years ago tomorrow, these Articles of Confederation were submitted to the states for ratification. This was our first Constitution. But very wisely, our nation's first leaders decided to improve on that first body of laws. They believed that those laws wouldn't stand the test of time. So, using the Articles of Confederation as a base, they wrote a new Constitution, the one we're living under today. But remember, the success of our present Constitution is due in a large extent to the Articles of Confederation, the anniversary of whose adoption will be observed tomorrow. Now, Dick Tracy. Dick Tracy and Pat Patton and a hasty trip to the state capitol have unearthed the first important link in the chain of evidence that they hope will send the Honorable Benton Malice to the electric chair. This accomplished, they made plans to return to Northern Valley aboard the Super Streamer, a train which is also carrying the noted South American statesman, Dr. Trabajo Porapas. It is this latter fact that has aroused the interest of the Honorable Benton Malice as he broods in the secret tower room of his castle overlooking Northern Valley. Carly, has it occurred to you what a blow to international cooperation it would be if something were to happen to that South American peacemonger, Dr. Trabajo Palapaz? It has indeed, sir. Let's see now. He'll be on the super streamer, which is due to enter Northern Valley at 9.43 tonight. It is now 7.22. That doesn't leave us too much time, sir. I guess uh, I'd better get ready to leave. You're not going anywhere, Carly. I'm not, sir. No. This is to be my part. But, sir, I thought that... Yes, Crowley? You thought what? I'm sorry, sir. I'm afraid I forgot myself. I'm afraid you did. In fact, you've been increasingly impertinent lately, venturing your opinion on the slightest provocation. I shall try to watch myself, sir. You should. Of what possible interest to me is the opinion of a common servant? None at all, sir. All right, now, listen closely. I told you I was going to punish you for your last failure. And part of that punishment is not to allow you to be present at one of the greatest railroad wrecks of all time. 
A hard punishment, sir. But completely justified. Of course. I'm nothing if not just. McCauley, according to this timetable, the West Junction local should be heading up the valley at about the same time that the super streamer is heading south. But that's another passenger train, sir. I'm aware of that. Any objections? None at all, sir. I was just thinking that the slaughter will be terrific when the super streamer plows head on into that string of dilapidated old cars that they still use in the local service. Yes, but slaughter of whom, Carly? You know what kind of people are always packed into the West Branch local. That's true, sir. I had forgotten. Well, I hadn't. I'd be doing Northern Valley a distinct service to wipe out the whole lot of them. Yes, sir. Ordinary people are like sheep, Carly. Somebody always has to lead them. They're completely helpless when they try to think for themselves. Yes, sir. And they'll think a little more clearly when they wake up in the morning and discover that hundreds of so-called Americans died in the same wreck with the esteemed Dr. Trabahu Parnathas. Well, we have work to do. Important work. Yes, sir. As I said, I'm going to do this alone. The generator and the rest of the equipment has been transferred to the station wagon. But mightn't you be recognized in it, sir? I'll smear the license plates with mud. Anyone gets too nosy, I'll shoot first and investigate later. Good, sir. And now we come to your part in this plan. My part, sir? Yes, I want you to stay in this tower room till the wreck has been accomplished. Don't leave it for any reason whatsoever. I will, sir. Bring the big telescope up here. Keep a steady watch on the valley. If by any chance the local is late, contact me by radio. Let me know that the wreck cannot be arranged. I shall, sir. Under no other conditions, use the radio. I have a feeling that others have been listening in on our wavelengths. Yes, sir. I'll be listening on the small handset. If I hear no message, I'll assume that the local's on time and the plans can be carried out. I see, sir. If the local's late, send a single word, no. I will verify receipt of your message by simply saying, check. Now, is that clear? Quite, sir. And remember, it's of the utmost importance that you stay here in this tower room. Your further punishment will depend on the success which we meet with in tonight's... Like it. Uh, when the railroad gave it permission to ride the locomotive of the super steamer, I was delirious with joy. Now I'm just delirious. What's the matter, Pat? I thought you enjoyed the ride we had in the freight locomotive. I did, but I keep thinking what happened to it. I also thought that that train was going fast, but it was going reverse alongside this one. I keep expecting us to take off like a guided missile. Oh, Patrick, you're getting soft. According to that pedometer, we're only going 110. Only, he says. You've gone that fast in the police car many a time. Sure, but you can stop a police car in something less than a mile. And you can also steer it away from danger. At least some drivers can keep a car from rolling down every railroad embankment they come to. Now, don't get bitter, Pat. I only went through the fence to see if you could take it. The only thing that bothers me is how long can I keep on taking it? Ah, that's the first sign of old age. Listen, you're talking through your hat. I just want to live long enough to arrive at old age. Barreling down the tracks at 110 is something you can't turn to right or left, and you can't stop in less than a mile, doesn't seem like the best way to do it. Well, at least you can be thankful that this isn't a freight train. The honorable gentleman down in Northern Valley has so far left passenger trains alone. Well, I still don't like it. There isn't the friendly, easygoing spirit that there was on the freight train. They don't pick engineers for these super speed jobs just for their conversational abilities. No, I can believe that. I, I don't even think this one knows how to talk. You just talked to him about the wrong subject, Pat. Watch. Say, uh, could I ask you a question? Yep. Those uh, colored lights you have in that panel in front of you, there seems to be more than in the last train I rode on. Yep. Do they give you information on more signal blocks ahead than the average train? Yep. Well, how many sections ahead does it give you information on? Four. Instead of the regular two. Is that because this train goes so fast it takes longer to stop it? Yep. Well, thanks a lot. That was very interesting. It is to me. I hope I didn't bore you. Bore us? Yep. I get enthusiastic sometimes. I don't know when to stop talking. Oh, oh well, Pat here has the same trouble, Mr. Uh, what did you say your name was? Real name's too long. 
Just call me Gabby, like everyone else does. Gabby, indeed. There isn't a straight man in the house. Huh? Uh, nothing, nothing at all. When you got nothing to say, don't say it. Good philosophy, Sonny. I guess that should hold you for a while, Pat. Yep. I've said the same thing to you many a time. Only not nearly so neatly. Uh, you're all just picking on me because I have a broken arm. If I had the use of my good left arm, I'd show that Gabby character a thing or two about philosophy. Of that, I have no doubt. But just as well you can, considering there are several hundred passengers dependent on this Gabby character to get them to their destinations in safety. So relax, Pat, and think of the fun we're going to have when we get back to Northern Valley. Don. Oh, your your mother said she didn't think you should keep Ginger. But why not? She's a swell little dog. Oh, I, I see. She howls and whines when you put her in the cellar. Well, she's lonely. Look, keep her in your room tonight, and I'll come down and see about her in the morning. Maybe I can find her another home. Okay, Don. Good night. find anything interesting? In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first, the Northwest Mounted Police. Just four words, but words that immediately bring to mind the wonderful sagas of adventure that thrill all of us. And it's with Sergeant Preston, typical of these heroes who always get their man, that Challenge of the Yukon is concerned. Challenge of the Yukon is an exciting program heard every Saturday night over most of these ABC stations. 
Against the background of the vast Alaskan wilderness in which the Klondike gold rush of the 90s took place, Sergeant Preston pursues his duties of maintaining law and order among prospectors and adventurers. And assisting Preston in his exciting duties is King, his big Eskimo lead dog. During the unfolding of these colorful tales of the gold country, you'll not only learn the characteristics of King, a husky, but from time to time other dogs, collies, wolfhounds, danes, and mongrels, are also brought into the story, thereby showing traits peculiar to their breeds. Yes, Challenge of the Yukon appeals to dog lovers as well as to folks who go for wildlife stories and dramas of adventure. Go for a complete half hour. Listen to Challenge of the Yukon, Saturday night. And now, back to Dick Tracy. Say, Dick, aren't we just about entering Northern Valley? Yes, but relax, Pat. As long as we're not on a freight train, we've got nothing to worry about. Nothing to worry about. Nothing except certain death at the hands of the Honorable Benton Malice. Better be sure to tune in Monday for the adventures of Dick Tracy, heard overseas through the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is George Gunn speaking. Starting tomorrow, the Metropolitan Opera will begin its annual season of Saturday afternoon broadcasts over most of these ABC stations. And that means, from the operatic stage of New York's famous Metropolitan Opera House, you'll enjoy celebrated artists singing in the great musical tradition of Grand Opera. Renowned stars like Lily Pons, Helen Charbel, Laurie Melchior, Ezio Pinza, Robert Merrill, and Licia Albanese. And as in the past, Milton Cross will be on hand every week to tell you the story of each opera. Don't miss the Metropolitan Opera Saturday afternoon, starting, of course, tomorrow over most of these same ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Behold my process. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, aha! Uh-huh. It's the Loot Crate subscription box, yeah! With an exclusive loot on surprises delivered to your door every month! Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy! <laughs> From the original Loot Crate, the Loot Crate DX collectible boxes, dude! Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box! Woohoo! Wowzers! With crates starting as large as 11 dollars per month, there's a box just about for all collectors. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's f-e-n-i-x media dot u-s forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. This is Dick Tracy on the case of the deadly tip-off. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Protector of law and order. Do you Tracy fans know what botany is? Well, it's the science dealing with plants and plant life. Uh, you may wonder why people bother studying about plants. You may wonder what possible use that information may have. Well, for one thing, it results in better food for you to eat. Just one example would be the development of oranges that give more juice. And if you give the subject more thought, you'll probably find other commercial uses for botany. Uses in producing trees that supply certain types of wood or in new species of flowers. 
So you see, there are definite practical uses for the science of botany. Well, here's proof that botanists themselves are respected in the world of science. Asa Gray, whose 137th birthday anniversary is observed today, started out as a doctor. I mean, he received a degree as doctor of medicine when he was 21. But soon after, he became interested in botany. And during his lifetime, he became a leading authority on the subject. So respected was Asa Gray that for 10 years, he, a botanist, was president of the American Academy of Arts and Sciences. Yes, not only is botany a practical science, but it's also a respected one. And now, Dick Tracy. Yesterday, Benton Mouse was electrocuted as he attempted to throw the switch on the oncoming super streamer. And his butler, Wormser Crawley, was brought to justice for his part in the train wrecks. And so, Dick Tracy and Pat Patton have concluded the case of the Honorable Mr. Malice. But yesterday, we met a new threat to law and order. The international gangster, Bellicosi, and his henchman, Ringer, who made illegal entry into the country aboard a submarine. As they landed on a lonely hunk of beach, they were accosted by a coast guard. What's the trouble, Goldilocks? The war is over. Stop trying to get a medal. Take it easy, Mac. It's my job to patrol this hunk of beach and ask questions. What do you want to know, sailor? How come you beat your boat on this hunk of sand? Just a whim. That's no answer. We were fishing and got lost. Uh-huh. Well, we'll see. Keep away from that boat, fella. Just because you're in the Coast Guard don't make you the FBI, you know. Just keep talking while I shine my light on the boat. I'd like to hear you. I thought the Coast Guard was supposed to help out fishermen in distress, not treat them like criminals. Uh, if you fellas are fishermen, where's your gear? What do you mean? What do you think I mean? Where's your fishing poles and hooks and bait? Maybe you catch fish by sticking your pinky in the water. You're a very funny fella. Always like a man with a sense of humor. And how about these suitcases? They must have cost hundreds of dollars apiece. You take them fishing with you always? No, he's taking inventory. What's it to you what we take out in the boat? Oh, just natural curiosity. Well, try and get over it. It ain't healthy. And there's one other little point. You always go fishing dressed up like high tea at the Waldorf? There you go again asking questions. I also have a gun. You'll also be in a lot of trouble when I get to your commanding officer. You've certainly exceeded your authority trying to manhandle a couple of honest citizens like us. Well, we're going to settle all of that right now. We're on the way to see my commanding officer. Suppose we say no. I don't think you will. But if necessary, I can put you under arrest. Now get the bags out of the boat. The commander might be interested in seeing them. Carry them yourself. Now, the more you guys talk, the more I think there's something fishy about you. And I don't mean with fins. What about the boat? Now, we'll haul her up the beach a bit. The tide's going up. Later, I'll have some of the fellas take it down to the station. I doubt it. Get the bags ringing. Okay, boss. Hey, shine your light over here, will you, sailor? There's water in the bottom of the boat. Anything at all to keep you happy. Hey, you stay where you are. I wasn't going no place. Uh, sure, I know. But nevertheless, I had the funny feeling that you were trying to get behind me. Yeah, that's funny. What's funny? I thought I heard a car stop. There's a little dirt road over the dunes, but I never heard any traffic on it this time of night. I didn't hear nothing. Might have been a Coast Guard jeep. There's no one doing it. I tell you, you're off your rock. I didn't hear nothing. Hey, stop waving that light around. I can't see what I'm doing. Come on, come on. Hurry it up with those suitcases. Take it easy, Sally. You're not at Grand Central Station. These things are heavy. Uh, full of fish, huh? No, the little one's full of plutonium. We're going to build atom bombs. Very uh, funny. What's in the others? The crown jewels. George giving to me to keep till the wedding blows over. You know, for your sake, I hope the commander thinks you're funnier than I do. Oh, he'll love us. Come on, get that stuff out of there. We've got a long hike down the beach. All right. One. Two. Three. And four. 
Hey, am I supposed to carry him off? That's between you and this fat guy you call a boss. You heard the sailor said it was a long walk? Pick him up. Now, wait a minute. I don't think I can handle him. You'll carry them or get fractured. Well, you better start fracturing, boss. Come on, will you hurry up? Both of you pick out the bags. We're moving out of here. No, we're not. Hey, I'm not kidding around with you two any longer. It's all right. In fact, you won't be kidding around with nobody no more. Take a look at an old friend of mine who's standing right behind you. You don't think I'm sucker enough to fall for that old gag, do you? I always believe in giving the guy a sporting chance. See, in a way, you're right about us. We don't belong in this country. We just come ashore from a submarine. Hey, what's your pitch now? I don't get it. No, pitch, I'm on a level. We've just smuggled some valuable goods ashore. And I might modestly say that the most valuable is a fellow named Bellicosi. That's me. Hey, maybe you're not kidding. Get your hands up. Sure. What's your hands up, Ringer? All right. Well, I could get a big promotion. Sure, but you forget about the guy behind you. He's got a Tommy gun. He's here to meet me and shoot you. Come on, now. Start walking or I'll be the one to do the shooting. You're a fool. You refuse good advice. You may fire when ready, Ryder. He's got his promotion. Boy, was I glad to see you. This guy had us over a barrel. You were late, Ryder. Everything could have been ruined. Listen, fella, Cozy, when I got the wireless message from that sub, I come right here. I got a flat tire down the road about five miles. And we got into the United States Coast Guard. Hey, what are we going to do with the Admiral here? Take him back to the submarine and tell Verminelli I want him buried at sea. With honors? I'm not particular, but tell Verminelli to include about 300 pounds of shot. I don't want this body around where somebody can see it. Okay, boss, I'll do it. Hey, that, that was a good act we put on over carrying the bags, huh? Stalling so that Ryder here could get in a position for a shot. It wasn't just an act. You'd have carried the bags or else. Ah, uh, get this stiff out to the sub and meet me later at Ryder's. Well, suppose I meet some more Coast Guard. You won't if you're hurried. I won't be checking on the sea scout here for a couple of hours. Okay. Hey, give me a hand with the boat in the body, huh? Help him, Ryder. Come on. Okay. Lift him up, Ryder. Yeah, I got it. Into the boat. Yeah. I'll push me into the water. Hold it into the surf till he gets the motor started. But I'm getting soaked. Shut up and do as you're told. Uh... All right, Ryder, pick up the bags and we'll get to the car. Something I gotta tell you first. Some news come over the radio tonight. No, kid, not a surprise. I thought they'd give the thing up as impractical. I'm not making gigs. You remember Slim Chance, the radio commentator? Sure, I remember him. He was one of the jerks responsible for getting me deported. Well, tonight he was on the air, coast to coast. So what? So he says something about an unconfined rumor... About you getting yourself smuggled back into the States on a submarine that belongs to your international organization. What? You're crazy. How could he know? All I did tonight was listen to a radio broadcast. Beyond that, I don't know nothing. Who could have tipped him off? I gotta know. Couldn't have been Harry. Who else did I tell? Chip. Nah. Hey, how about your old girl? Yeah, that could be the one. I sent her word how I was coming. Molly Q. I think I'll pay her a little visit tomorrow. Yeah, well, what about that slim chance? Now that the whole country knows you're here, you might just as well get back on that submarine. Not yet. He said an unconfirmed rumor, didn't he? Well, we'll get him to say was all wrong. Yeah, suppose he don't. Then I'll kill him. The following afternoon, we find Dick Tracy and Pat Patton at Dick's office and headquarters. What are you writing, Pat? Another detective story? See, that isn't a bad idea. But at the moment, I'm working on my Christmas list. Good. Have you got down to the T's yet? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you like this? Port Tracy. 
Imitation police whistle, a pogo stick, an Irish man. That'd be I... you, of course. Yeah, of course. Well, for the moment, let's put the list away. I'm expecting a visitor. Yeah, who? Slim Chance, the radio commentator. Oh, he's a good man. I listen to him whenever I get the uh, <clears throat> chance. <laughs> well, it looks as if you were going to get it right now. Come in. I'm Slim Chance. Dick Tracy? That's right. Won't you come in and sit down? Thank you. This is Pat Patton. How are you? He's an admirer of yours, like I am. Pleased to meet you, Pat. And thanks for the nose game. Well, why were you so anxious to see me? Well, I'll tell you, Dick. I have a peculiar hunch that I'm going to be killed. Oh, you should watch those heavy foods before you go to bed. They're murder. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> Very funny. But this isn't a lobster beer and ice cream dream. Yeah, read this, Dick. Okay. Bellicosi is still abroad and intends to stay there. Make the retraction on your next broadcast. You owe this to your public, your family, and yourself. Signed, Jimsy Boy. Who's that? Well, there's no such person, of course. But you notice that family and yourself are underlined in the letter. Yes, I see. And I take that as a threat against my life, and maybe my loved ones. Oh, I think you may be taking things a little too seriously. What'd you say about Bellicosi on the air? Well, I said that there was an unconfirmed report that he would enter the country from a submarine. Well, bless my radiant personality. Is that true? I believe it is. Who gave you the information? Well, I can't tell you that, Dick, but I think it's the real thing. By not telling us all you know, you're making it impossible for us to help you. I'd like to tell you, Dick, but I promise not to reveal my source of information. And it's part of a good reporter's creed to respect the confidence. Anyhow, if my information is correct, I'm in real danger. And I'm counting on you to protect me. All right, Slim, I'll assign a detective to cover you for a few days. But that's all we can do right now, officially. But what about my family? My wife? Well, your home is outside of the city's jurisdiction, but I'll arrange protection for them, too. You won't have to worry on that score. Oh, thanks, Dick. But I'd be happier if you'd work on this personally. That's up to the chief. But in the meantime, there are no regulations against Pat and me coming to your broadcast tonight. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... Tracy fans, if you've ever seen any of the movies starring Bing Crosby and Barry Fitzgerald, I'm sure that you'll look forward to hearing tomorrow night's Bing Crosby show. You see, Barry Fitzgerald will be Bing's special guest, and together they'll reenact the scene of their first meeting. It'll be a little fantasy in which Barry shows that he's really a leprechaun, a little Irish pixie. That not only is he 3,000 years old, but that he's also destined to live forever. As a musical treat at the end of this whimsical sketch, Bing will sing Tura Lura Lura. Also on the musical side of the show, in addition to several other Crosby songs, young Metropolitan Opera soprano Dorothy Kirsten will sing Romany Life from Victor Herbert's popular operetta, The Fortune Teller. And in encore, she'll blend her voice with Bing's in another Victor Herbert favorite, Indian Summer. Yes, for delightful comedy and wonderful music, be sure not to miss tomorrow night's Bing Crosby show, guest starring Barry Fitzgerald and Dorothy Kirsten. Remember the exact time for the Bing Crosby show? It's on the air over most of these same ABC stations tomorrow night at 10 in the East and 9 o'clock everywhere else. And now back to the crazy. Turn the radio on, Ringer. I don't want to miss Slim Chance tonight. Well, what's he going to say? He's going to tell a breathless America that I'm not here. But Slim Chance is going to say no such thing. And Bellicosi has sworn to kill him if he doesn't make the retraction. Better be sure to tune in tomorrow for The Adventures of Dick Tracy. Produced by Charles Powers and heard overseas through the Armed Forces Radio Service. This is George Gunn speaking. The various countries of the world may have a difficult time understanding each other's customs, but there's one thing every nation understands about another. Music. 
I'm talking, of course, about country's great music. The kind the Boston Symphony Orchestra presents in its weekly Tuesday night concert. The famous orchestra plays the music of all lands. It works with composers in America or Great Britain, in France, Germany, Russia, Poland, Italy, Norway, to name just a few. Music has always played an important role in portraying the national life and culture of a nation. Don't miss the Boston Symphony Orchestra broadcast tonight. This program was transcribed. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the deadly tip-off. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Protector of law and order. Before we join Dick Tracy, I'd like to tell you about an event that occurred exactly 84 years ago today, during the war between the states. Earlier that year, a bloody battle had been fought in Pennsylvania. Because of the great number of men who had fallen on that Pennsylvania battlefield, it was decided to dedicate the ground as a national cemetery. Well, this was done in a very impressive ceremony, the anniversary of which we're observing today. The principal speaker at the dedication was Edward Everett, a distinguished orator of the time, the President of the United States, Abraham Lincoln, also made a short speech, only about 300 words long. But as you all know, his short talk has in time come to be recognized as a great classic. President Lincoln began with the immortal word, fourscore and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation. Yes, Tracy fans, at Gettysburg Address. Listen to Lincoln's closing words and think how they apply to us now and to those who fell in the last war. We here highly resolve that these dead shall not have died in vain, that this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom, that government of the people, by the people, and for the people shall not perish from the earth. And now, Dick Tracy. Yesterday, Bellicosi, international gangster and undesirable alien, smuggled himself, his assistant ringer, and four suitcases full of contraband ashore on a lonely strip of beach. He got around the Coast Guard problem by the simple expedient of murdering the sailor whose duty it was to patrol that part of the shore. But there was bad news awaiting the gangster. He learned that Slim Chance, big-time radio reporter, had been on the air with the news that he, Bellicosi, had made illegal entry into the United States. Since this disclosure would ruin all of his plans, Bellicosi determined to send Slim Chance a friendly note demanding a complete denial. And it was this note signed, Jimsy Boy, that Slim Chance later brought to Dick Tracy. Right now, Dick and Pat are on their way to Slim Chance's broadcast. Dick, why are we going to Slim Chance's broadcast tonight? Oh, I'm curious to hear what he says, Pat. You could do that sitting right here in the car through the wonders of radio. Or uh, hadn't you heard about the invention? It was mentioned to me once or twice, I believe. Mm. Said it was a fishy-sounding story that Slim Chance told us this afternoon. You think so, Pat? Well, sure. All he had was a letter signed by Jimsy Boy. So what's that? Nothing but a crank writing in. The letter did tell him to retract his statement that Bellicosi had entered the country illegally. For sure, but it didn't threaten to kill him, as Slim Chance claimed. No, not in so many words, but the threat was certainly there. Well, maybe, but then why wouldn't he tell us where he got the information about Bellicosi getting into the country? Oh, it's sort of a code with newspaper men and radio commentators. They protect their sources of information. That's all well and good, but he doesn't mind coming and asking us to guard his life and then refuse to give us the information that will help us to do it. It is somewhat paradoxical. You know what I think? 
I think that Bellicosi is nowhere near this country. I think that Slim Chance pulled the blooper and doesn't want to retract it. So now he thinks that the word got around that the great Dick Tracy was protecting him would make him look like a hero. I might believe that sort of thing of some people, Pat, but not of Slim Chance. No, he's as right a guy as they come. And not afraid to throw his weight around for democracy and truth. I hope we can help him. Well, I didn't know you knew the guy that well. All right, we have him. How do we do it? No answer to that one. Chief Brendan says he can't spare us as bodyguards, particularly when there's no evidence that the man's life is in danger. Well, that leaves Slim Chance still on the hook. Unfortunately, yes. But remember this, Pat. Slim Chance was one of the men most responsible for having Bellicosi deported from the country. That's right. He kept hammering at it over the radio until the immigration authorities had to take some action. And it seems a pity that that was the only thing that could be done with Bellicosi. Every police department in the country knew that he was head of the rackets and a murderer, but they couldn't lay a finger on him. No, he was too cagey. And there was never any evidence that could be proved against him. But what if he did succeed in getting back into the country? What could we do? Nothing much, Pat. If he's caught, he gets turned over to the immigration authorities and tossed back out on his ear. Yeah, but if he could get his old gang started again, he could cause a lot of trouble. Lenny, step it up, Pat. I don't want to miss the broadcast. And while Tracy and Patton are rushing to Slim Chance's broadcast, two rather formidable characters, gangsters and pals of Bellicosi, are turning on their radio to listen to the same broadcast. Hey, you're too soon, Ryder. It ain't time for Slim Chance yet. So maybe we get a little music first. Hey, that ain't bad. Shall we dance, huh? Ringy, you've been abroad too long. <laughs> well, that ain't saying it's not good to get back. Yeah, Bella Koshy's lapping it up, too. Yeah, he sure is. But I think maybe he's having too good a time. He should be more careful when he goes out. He'll get spotted and they'll toss him right out of the country again. Yeah, maybe they know he's here from Slim Chance's broadcast last night. Well, unless he's pretty stupid, Slim's going to say that ain't true tonight. Yeah, but supposing he is pretty stupid, then what? Then you and I are going to beat the living daylights out of him right after the broadcast. And that ought to convince him to talk like Bellicosi says. Ah, so uh, maybe we get some exercise today, huh? Yeah, maybe. You know, I can't figure out how this guy Slim Chance found out that Bellicosi was sneaking back into the country. Well, he even knew that he was getting off a submarine. Bellicosi thinks maybe Molly Kill tipped it off. Yeah, that could have been what happened, all right. I always said you should never trust the dame. I think Bellicosi's going to pay her a little call later. Mm, I'd hate to be in her shoes. Yeah, me too. Yeah, but Bellicosi always did have it soft for that girl, but she just couldn't see him. You know, I think she's one of the reasons he sneaked back into the country. Yeah, that's right. Her and about $3 million a year profit in an international smuggling ring he's got set up. I tell you, Bellicosi's a bigger operator now than he ever was. No kidding. No kidding. He's got the whole world to work in, and he's got some organization. Now, take that submarine that brought us to the country. Not bad, huh? No, no. Hey, where's the sub now? Fooling around out in the ocean, away from the ship and lanes. All Bellicosi has to do is radio it in code, and it'll rendezvous. Hey, that's pretty slick. Yeah, and that sub is loaded with goods. Bellicosi's going to bring it in as soon as he's had a chance to kind of look the field over. There must be a million bucks worth of contraband on board. Wow. You can say that again. Wow. Shut up. And that's why Bellicosi don't want no flannel-mouth radio commentator spilling about his being here. And that's why we're going to see to it that Slim Chance reads this retraction over the air. You know, like we told him in the letter signed Jimsy Boy. Yeah, I wonder now, uh, will we do it tonight? Well, let's get the station to find out. Sure. Hey, 
For the love of Mike, Dick, what's this glass and closed cage we're in now? It's called the client's booth, Pat. My, my, my. Easy chairs and everything. <laughs> Aren't we going to listen to the broadcasting style? I want you to have only the best, Patrick. Oh, there's slim chance inside. He sees it. Yeah. Say, what's that little room over there off the studio with the glass front? Oh, that's the control room. Oh. You see that fellow sitting in there in front of the control board? Yeah. Well, that's the engineer. He's a mighty important man in broadcasting. And he's got to keep on his toes every second they're on the air. Uh, what about that other guy in there with him? This skinny one that's biting his fingernails. Oh, he's the director. What does he do? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Must be interesting work. Well, Pat, it seems to be a law of nature that an organism that pulls its own weight also has to support a parasite. In the woods, it's a malignant vine living off a tall tree. In radio, it's that skinny guy with his fingers in his mouth. Hey, Dick, I think something's going to happen. That director fellow's getting ready to stick somebody with his finger, I think. How do we fix it so we can hear Slim Chance? I think one of these buttons on this table will do it. That got us nowhere. Try another one. Quick, Slim's just about to start talking. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Slim Chance bringing you hot off the griddle news. Juicy items done to a turn, but with no sweetening added. Here's a reminder to the immigration authorities. Last night I stated that a certain rat named Bellicosi had entered the country illegally. Although this item remains still unconfirmed, something happened subsequent to my broadcast last night that puts it a little out of the ruler glass. At least it does to this radio voice. To the authorities, I say, let's not take a chance, fellows. Find the fat gangster and throw him out of our country again. Does this answer your note, Jimsy boy? What'd you turn him off for? I'd like to go back to headquarters, Pat. Well, do you think there's some truth in the Bellicorsi thing, then? Well, we don't know anything, Pat. I just want to be at headquarters in case the detective we have covering Slim Chance makes a report. But why don't I tell him, too? No, no, you're too well-known, Pat. Anyway, Chief Brandon put a good man on the job. Well, let's go. I'll call Slim later so he won't think we walked out on him. Yeah, let's... Hey, look at that director fella now. Hmm? Looks as if he's getting ready to fire a rifle. I guess they don't need him. Okay, Ryder, now you know what to do. Yeah, sure. When Slim Chance comes out of the Heron Club, pull this taxi up and we'll take him aboard. If he don't get in our cab, he'll get in Freddy's, who's right behind us. Hey, what about that copper that's tailing him? All taken care of. He'll get nowhere. Are you ready? Yeah. I think that's Slim Chance coming out. Now, wait till the doorman whistles for you. They're talking. Okay, this looks like it. Hi, you're a fast man at getting taxes, Mike. Here you are. Oh, thanks, Mr. Chance. Thanks a lot. All right, lie back in the cab, Slim Chance. I've got a gun on you. Get going, Ryder. Thanks. Hey, who are you? In the manner of speaking, I'm Jimsy Boy. Well, crawl back into the wall and tell Bellicosi to pull it in after you. Hey, Rainer, I just seen that cop who was guarding this guy get in the cab and follow us. I seen it in the rear mirror. Uh, now, would you mind stopping and letting me out? You don't want the whole police force down on you, do you? We're not worrying. Look back there. See that other cab taking off after your detective friend? Yeah, yeah, I do. Well, that's my boy, Freddy. You watch him run interference. Come on, Freddy boy, take him out. You'll tend to your drive and I'll watch the floor show. Oh, nice going. He'll have him in a minute now. <laughs> All right, let's drag ourselves out of here now that Slim's bodyguard has lost interest. Well, what, what are you going to do with me? We're going to have a little talk. I figure maybe you didn't quite understand that note. All right. Well, let's start now. Don't hit me, will you? Okay, fella. I, I lost my head. So here's another for good behavior. Oh. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... One of the happier meetings in the show world occurred some years ago in a Pennsylvania town. The local theater, a comedian with a round and 
appealing face, Luke Costello, was scheduled to go on, but his partner was suddenly taken ill. And for a while, it looked like a catastrophe. But somebody had the idea of sending on another man, Bud Abbott, as Costello's partner. Well, that was the start of Abbott and Costello, who've been partners ever since. The basic pattern of each Abbott and Costello laugh riot over ABC every Wednesday night goes something like this. Bud gets Lou into trouble, Lou gets the laugh, and the listeners hear their favorites in new and funnier situations. Well, back to the fun front, however, Abbott and Costello have a tendency to take life seriously. Since the rise of juvenile delinquency, they have established a national youth center, the Lou Costello Junior Youth Foundation, named after Lou's infant son. The center promotes the health and good citizenship of boys and girls from all walks of life. Abbott and Costello's kind of humor appeals not only to these youngsters who idolize them, but to millions of adults as well. Have a listen tonight when Abbott and Costello are on the air on most of these ABC stations. And now, back to Dick Tracy. It's about time that Barney checked back at headquarters. Oh, he probably went in a minute or so. After all, it's only been an hour since he said that Slim Chance was at the Heron Club. But that was an hour ago. I'd like to know where he is now. And if Dick doesn't find out pretty soon, there may not be any Slim Chance to worry about. Better tune in tomorrow for The Adventures of Dick Tracy, written for radio by John Ray and Everett S. Crosby. And this is George Gunn speaking. This program is transcribed. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the deadly tip-off. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. We'll have Dick Tracy with us in exactly a minute and ten seconds. But first, I wonder how many of you young Tracy fans have decided what you're going to do when you grow up. You know, the sooner you decide what you're going to be, the sooner you can make plans for it and then follow through. Take Raymond Schiff, for instance, who comes from New Rochelle, New York. Raymond decided while he was in high school that he wanted to be a nuclear physicist and work with atomic energy. This was back in 1942, before the atomic bomb was heard of. He wrote an essay on the future of atomic energy, and this essay earned him a four-year scholarship to Harvard College, the school he wanted to attend. Of course, he studied physics there, and then in the summertime, he worked with the Westinghouse researchers who were splitting the atom and studying it. After Raymond has done some more work in these laboratories, he'll go back to school for more training. But he's already rated as one of the nation's top young nuclear physicists. You know, it really doesn't matter what you want to be when you grow up. You first have to decide, and then you have to keep your eye on it constantly. That's the way that success is made. Yesterday, Dick and Pat used every police trick at their command to find the missing Slim Chance, one of America's foremost radio commentators. They learned that he'd been snatched from the Heron Club in a mysterious taxi, but that was all. His subsequent whereabouts remained the deep secret to the two detectives, but not to Slim Chance, who had been driven out into the country by a couple of bellicose thugs and had been given a severe beating accompanied by the pointed instructions that when he next went on the air, he was to deny that Bercosi had entered the country. 
Right now, Tracy and Patton are at headquarters waiting for information on Slim Chet. Tracy speaking. Yeah, go ahead. No report, eh? Well, it seems to me that someone on this force ought to be able to spot a green and yellow checkered cab with a known license number. Don't be sorry. Find me that cab. And throw out a wider dragnet for Slim Chance. Yes, put it on the teletype. Check all major train, air, and bus terminals. All right, but I want him found. Say, Dick, you should try sleeping nights. Then maybe you wouldn't be so hard on the head. No, I'm not intentionally being hard on anybody, Pat. If the facts were to slip out, I'm pretty worried about Slim Chance. Yeah, I... Yes, I know what you mean. It seems hardly possible that the most famous radio commentator in the country can disappear for over 15 hours and we can't find a trace of him. Mm. Say, tell me something. Do you think that Bellicosi snatched him? I'm not thinking a thing until I get some lead on Slim. You know, the part that seems most ominous to me is that I'm sure Slim would have gotten in touch with us if he could. Yes, that's just what's got me bothered. And that's why I'm not leaving this desk until Slim calls me or the boys turn up something. Well, if it was Bellicosi or his gang that got to him, do you think they'd have murdered him? I don't know, Pat. That crazy gangster might try anything. But I don't see how it would help him at the moment. Well, whatever has happened to Slim Chance has suddenly stirred up a furor. Say, tell me one thing. How did the papers get it? Oh, the radio station and this sponsor. They're completely up in the air about the whole thing. Mm, what'll they do if Slim Chance doesn't turn up? Well, they probably have somebody ready to sub for him, but not the same thing. Oh, it certainly is not. Tracy uh, speaking. Listen, Dick. If you recognize me through my voice, don't mention my name over the phone. At the moment, I don't recognize anything. Go on. Jimsy Boy mean anything to you? Jimsy Boy? Jimsy Boy? That was the name signed of the threatening note that Slim Chance got. Okay, Jimsy Boy, I've got your place. Are you all right? Well, in a manner of speaking, listen, Dick, I can't come to you. Please get up here to Studio 8 on the double. I've got to talk to you before airtime. You know what I mean? We're on our way. Let's go, Pat. Uh, who was it? Slim Chance. He's at the broadcasting studio and due on the air in a few minutes. I'm sorry, sir. No one's allowed in the studio. It's all right, fellow. I'm Dick Tracy. Oh, go right in. Thanks. Come on, Pat. Right with you. Dick. Pat. Oh, thank heaven you fellows got here. Well, what happened to you? Oh, I got beaten up. Well, as a connoisseur of that sort of thing, I'd like to say they did a nice workmanlike job. Yeah. I'd just as soon never have another one like it. You ought to be in a hospital, Slim. Well, my doctor's on the way over. I phoned him just after I got you. What happened? Well, I'll make it quick. When I left the Heron Club early this morning, I was picked up by the first cab. In it were two torpedoes. One driving and one in the back to keep me company. Did you get their names? Yeah, rider up front, ringer in the back. They were a little dumb and called themselves by name. Got it, Pat? All down. How about the cab that crashed into Detective Barney who was guarding you? Well, that was part of their scheme, Dick. They'd arrange for it. Have we still got that driver in jail? We certainly have, Dick. Hold him. Right. What next? Well, out to the country where I got that beat. One thing. Did they change the license plate on their taxi? Yes. They stopped on a dark street and did it. It was evidently all pre I thought as much. That's why the boys didn't spot the taxi. Who gave you the going over? Uh, mostly Winger. What do you want? Oh, the same old thing. A retraction on my item about Bellicosi being in the country. How'd you get away from them? Well, I told them I'd do what they wanted me to. Then they left me out in the country. But jumping Jiminy Slim, you're not going on the air with that. Well, what do you think? Well, your entire reputation is built on giving the public the truth. Well, what good is a reputation if you're too crippled to enjoy life? A beating like the one I took is quite a convincer. Well, I wouldn't have thought that of you, Slim. Now you'd better listen to the broadcast. Why didn't you contact me sooner, Slim? Well, I passed out a couple of times before I could get myself to the road to walk away. When I finally got the strength, I called my wife and had her pick me up and drive me here to the studio. I can't understand why someone didn't tell me. Well, I took care that no one would recognize me. I didn't want it to get out that I was back. Well, why not? Well, my disappearance was on the air and in all the papers today. You don't think I'd let anyone scoop me on my return? 
Oh, so the first news of that will be when I go on the air in a moment. I don't know if I'll ever understand reporters. Well, you'd get yourself killed for a piece of hot news and then write it up for St. Peter's Weekly. The fact that somebody is so hot to get you to make a retraction would indicate that Bellicosi is either in this country or on the way here. Uh-huh. That's how I see it. What do you want me to say tonight? That's up to you. Well, I don't mean about the retraction. I won't give that. I want to know if you have any objections to my openly defying Bellicosi. You know what the consequences might be? Uh, another beating? Maybe be worse than that. Well, do you mean that I'm on my own? Not at all, Slim. We'll give you every protection. But just remember one thing. The advantage is always with the hunter. Ah, that's a happy thought. It's your problem, Slim. But you can be sure of this. If Bellicosi's around, Pat and I will find him. And maybe my talking up will help you, huh? Well, anyway, I figure that as a factual reporter, it's my duty to inform the public just as it's your duty to protect it. Just keep on talking, Slim. You make me like you better and better. Well, it's almost airtime, Dick. But I've got to talk to you about one more thing. Shoot. I couldn't tell you where I got my information about Bellicosi coming into the country because I was under oath not to. But I don't think that holds now. It's a girl named Molly Kuehl who told me. So wasn't she a friend of Bellicosi's in the old days before he was deported? Well, he was out of his mind about her, but I don't think she ever liked him. Anyway, they tried to beat it out of me. I wouldn't tell. But this fellow Ringer, who was doing the slugging, mentioned her name. Which means that they suspect her and that her life is in great danger. Where does this girl live? We'll take her into protective custody. Well, I don't know where she lives, nor how to get in touch with her. She wouldn't tell me. Oh, fine. That's just... I have an idea, Slim. We may be able to save the girl. How, Dick? You've got to go on the air tonight and warn her of the danger and tell her to contact me. Huh? Five minutes after that, we'll have her under protection. Well, that's a wonderful idea, Dick. And she's sure to listen to the program because she knows I'll be talking about Bellicosi. I'll arrange a special phone line for you right now. Good. And, Pat, call headquarters and get me a special squad. We're going to need it. Stop walking up and down, Molecule. You might make me nervous. For the last time, Bellicosi, get out of here. You're not very hospitable after I come thousands of miles just to see you. You could have saved yourself the trip. Whether I could have or not remains to be seen. In any case, I think it was a somewhat unfriendly act for you to tip off slim chance that I was coming. I did no such thing. You're not a good liar, Molecule. I'm going to have to teach you a lesson. How did you ever find out where I lived? I had the boys keep an eye on you ever since I left the country two years ago. But let's not change the subject. I like you, Molecule, but I don't like what you've done to me. If Slim Chance doesn't deny that I'm in the country tonight on his radio show, I'm likely to lose a lot of money. And I couldn't buy you no more presents. And I wouldn't have to throw any more of them into the garbage. Turn the radio on. Slim Chance ought to be starting. Turn it on yourself. <laughs> All right. I'd forgotten what a big, brave caveman you are. Always ready to beat up a woman. Force works with anyone, regardless of sex or age. And on the radio, you'll hear what a good beating did to help Slim Chance make up his mind. Why didn't they put you in jail when they had their hands on you? Because I'm too smart and too strong. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is your somewhat battered reporter, Slim Chance. Here to point out to that fat gangster, Bellicosi, who is in this country illegally, as my cracked ribs will attest, that his thugs did a bad job. I can still talk. Is that the retraction you wanted, Bellicosi? I'll kill him. I'll kill him. And here is the most important announcement. Molly Q. Molly Q. Your life is in great danger. Call Dick Tracy here at this studio. You have an open line. The number is NAN 52884. Repeat. Molly Q. Your life is in great danger. Wow, wow. So you didn't have nothing to do with tipping Slim Chance off about me, huh? I'm going to enjoy what I'm going to do to you. Put that gun down, Bellicosi. Get on that phone. Call 
call Tracy at NAN 52884. Tell him you're all right. The slim chance is a cheap report out after a lot of sensation. Hurry up and do what I say. And don't even start to give him your address. But say nothing but what I told you to. This is Molly Kuehl, Mr. Tracy. I'm all right. Limp Cat shouldn't have... Oh, dear heavens, help me! Help me! What's your phone number? It's a In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. You Tracy fans have probably heard the expression, life in the raw. Well, nowhere was life in the raw better exemplified than in the great Northwest. During the days of the Klondike Gold Rush, that was country that, as the saying goes, separated the men from the boys. Well, each Saturday night on Challenge of the Yukon, you can enjoy exciting tales of adventure set in this rough wilderness untouched by refinements of civilization. Challenge of the Yukon is a colorful program broadcast on most of these same ABC stations. The stories are concerned with such the stories are concerned with such and fight to maintain law and order at a time when authority seemed to rest in each man's pistol holster. Representative of the small group of Northwest Mounted Police who braved the elements to track down ruthless criminals, Sergeant Teston is aided by his highly trained Eskimo lead dog, King. Although many of the action-packed dramatizations on Challenge of the Yukon deal with conflicts between men, there are variations, stories that revolve around wolves or bears and other animals of the Yukon. Don't miss Challenge of the Yukon heard on most ABC stations... Tomorrow night. Now, back to the crazy. It's no use. The instrument's gone dead. If there was a shot, Pat, did you get a phone number? No, but the beginning sounded something like muh. Come on, Pat. Maybe it's not too late to get to her. Yes, but maybe it is too late. Then be sure to tune in Monday for the adventures of Dick Tracy. Written for radio by John Ray and Everett S. Crosby... Dick Tracy is heard overseas through the Armed Forces Radio Service. And this is George Gunn speaking. Here's an invitation to you Tracy fans from ABC. An invitation to spend a series of Saturday afternoons with us. Every Saturday afternoon we bring you broadcasts of the great Metropolitan Opera. Broadcast direct from New York's famous Metropolitan Opera House. A mecca for music lovers who come from all over the country to see this famous opera company. Yes, each week throughout the opera season, the Metropolitan Opera is brought directly to you, giving you a chance to hear many of your favorite works, such as Carmen, Lohengrin, The Magic Flute, Rosenkavalier, Rigoletto, and so forth. Don't miss Metropolitan Opera tomorrow afternoon. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior! Thank you for tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. 
I'm your host, Christian Phoenix. Now, growing up as a comic book fan of the 80s and 90s, I've always been fascinated with how storytellers translated these iconic heroes from the page to film, television, and radio. Long before we got the big-budget CGI epics we enjoy today, children gathered around their radios to hear their favorite do-gooders come to life with little more than their imaginations and these broadcasts from a time long forgotten. I invite you to gather around your radio for this presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. And now, it's Pinky! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the poisonous timber. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. We'll join Dick Tracy in just 70 seconds, gang. But first, did you know that today, December 16th, is the anniversary of one of the most famous parties in history? Well, not exactly a party, but in the year 1773... 174 years ago today, the American colonists held the Boston Tea Party. We've all heard about it, of course. The reason for it was this. At that time, the colonies belonged to Great Britain, and the British government made the colonists pay a tax on just about everything they sent to America. The American merchants refused to buy unless the taxes were lifted, and they finally were lifted on everything but tea. So the colonists refused to permit any tea to be landed. But in November 1773, two ships loaded with tea were moored in Boston Harbor, and an attempt was made to get the tea ashore. On December 16th, 60 men disguised as Indians boarded the ships, tore open the hatches, and overboard went the tea, and that was the Boston Tea Party, a victory against taxation without representation. Under our present system of government, we Americans are assured that we'll never be taxed without having something to say about it. And now, Dick Tracy... Dick Tracy and Pat Patton are investigating the illegal cutting of Christmas trees, the sudden disappearance of the suspected Forest Green, and murder. Yesterday, together with Cutter Down, they carried the dead body of Pierre the Trapper from the snow-clad North Woods into a makeshift cabin and notified the local sheriff of the killing. And then Dick Tracy and Pat Patton went to Mahogany's cabin to interrogate her in connection with the mysterious occurrences. Well, Mahogany protested Forrest Green's innocence and was making some pretty strong accusations concerning Cutter Down. And suddenly, Tracy said, Hold it, Pat. What is it, Dick? Somebody's coming. I just saw him break for cover across that patch of open snow. Better have your gun ready. All right. What are you fellas fixing to do, huh? Nothing serious. We just want to ask a few questions. Pat, you cover that side of the door. I'll watch this. All set. Lock the door and skedaddle, Forrest. Them two constables from the big cities here. After him, Pat. I can't open the door. It's locked. Yeah, and the windows look too small to squeeze through. Where's the key to open this door, Mrs. Hogany? Key? Well, let's see. Now, where on earth is it? You know, I, I can't seem to rightly remember where I put the consign thing. Dick, shall I break the door down? No, never mind, Pat. He's probably out of sight by now, and it's certain we'd never catch him in these woods. He knows them like the palm of his mm, hand. Key, key. Now, where in thunderation did I put it? Oh, my. 
Mrs. Hargany. Oh, don't be so formal, young man. Just call me Ma Hargany, like everybody else. All right, Ma. Would you mind sitting down for a few minutes? No, not at all, Sonny. Not at all. There. What's on your mind? You know I could have you arrested, don't you? Uh, yep, I suppose you could at that, but uh, I don't know as that'd do you much good. I'm just an old lady trying to see that right and justice is done. I ain't a troublemaker by nature. But what I'm trying to tell you is that you can't set yourself up above the law. Hmm. There's others what's trying to. Well, I'm not very good at riddles. Who's trying to set himself up above the law? Shucks, and it looks like as how there's a heap you don't know about. It looks like as how there's a heap that none of us knows about. That's right. I think this is as good a time as any to get the answers to a few questions. Sit down, boys. Go on, sit down. All right. First. Now then, what do you want to know? First, why are you trying to protect Forrest Green? Because he's a good boy. Might hot-tempered, but still a good boy. Well, if that's so, why won't he come forward and tell his side of the story? Because it's his word again, Cutter Downs. Cutter's got everything on his side. Just a minute. Are you trying to say that Cutter Down is deliberately trying to pin something on Forrest Green? <laughs> He's not trying to, Sonny. He's pinned it. Well, that all sounds kind of silly to me. After all, why would a big landowner like Cutter Down go to all the trouble and expense of trying to frame one of his own employees? Well, I can answer that one by saying that Cutter ain't a big landowner. He ain't? Uh, I mean, isn't. Well, these lumber holdings are enormous. <laughs> they sure are, Buster. They sure are. Only they ain't his. Well, who's in are they? Mine. Yours? Yours? Yep. And when I die, they'll belong to Piney Woods. All right, officer. Put away that billy club. I'll go quietly. Now, let me get this straight. You say that all of this land belongs to you? Just as sure as you're a foot high. But what? But why does Cutter Down do the lumbering? He works this here land on a long-term lease. Oh, a long-term lease? Well, th that should bring you in an awful lot of money. Why, why, why... why do I live in a shack like this? Uh -huh. Well, $500 a year won't buy much better. $500 a year? Uh -huh. Oh, come now. A lease to all this land should bring a lot more than that. That's the spitting truth. But it don't. But how did you ever happen to sign a lease for such a small amount of money? I never signed it. My husband, poor old Beaver Hogany, he signed it. God rest his soul. But why? Well, tell you, it's like this. Beaver, he owned this here land for years. Got it from the Injun. Well, he could never pay no taxes, and the state, they wanted to take it away. But Beaver, he just went gunning for the tax collectors, and so nobody never bothered to do nothing. You know, that's an interesting way to solve the tax problem. Yeah, trouble is, it ain't permanent. The state finally offered the land up for sale, and poor old Beaver, well, he figured this how he was up again it. And that's where Cutter Down come in. Oh, I see. He, he bought the land at auction, huh? You know, if you'd unplug your ears, you'd hear me say that Cutter never bought this land. Nope. He went to Beaver and offered to pay all the taxes if Beaver would lease him the land for 25 years. He told Beaver that they'd both be ahead that way. Beaver, he could still live here and get money on the lease, and Cutter, well, he didn't want nobody running the price up on him in auction. I see, I see. And so Beaver accepted the offer. In a pig's eye, did. He said 500 was too low and he'd like to throw Cutter into the creek. Yeah, but I patience. thought... Patience! Son, patience. Cutter talked Beaver into going into the lumber business with him and then he paid part of the taxes and thought the state into holding off the sale for a while. Then how did Beaver ever happen to sign the lease? Well, that I don't rightly know. A little while after they went into business, Beaver and Cutter went up to bust up a log jam on the North Fork, just above Smoky. North Fork? Mm-hmm. Say, isn't that where they had the jam this afternoon? Hey, yep, that's right. Uh, Beaver must have got a hold of a bad fuse or something because a whole box of dynamite went up in his face. First thing I knowed, Cutter come back and told me I was a widow and showed me the signed lease. 
Said Beaver had changed his mind just before he went on that last trip. Was the lease witnessed? Yep, by Cutter's business manager, Owen Doe, and a lumberjack named Axe or something or other. Oh, the one who was killed in the jam this afternoon? The same. Well, anyways, I was glad to have even 500 a year then. I had to take care of my little granddaughter, Piney, being as how her parents had just died in the cabin fire. Had to rest my husband and my daughter a week apart. Well, you certainly had a bad time of it. Mm, I'd have had it worse, but somehow Piney come through the fire alive. Yes, yeah, she was five years old and wandering through the snow alone when a trapper found her, took her to his cabin. After she was strong enough, he brought her back here to me. Yep, we've always felt mighty grateful to that there trapper. Well, I should think you would. His name was Pierre. Oh, no. The, the one who... The same. Oh, Piney, she was broke up something terrible when she heard what happened. She's been out walking in the woods alone, trying to get over it. Now, is there anything else you young fellas would like to know? Not at the moment. I think you've been through enough for the time being. We'll be running along now. Well, any time you want to know anything, you know where I live. Thanks. But I think it's only fair to tell you that we're still out to catch Forrest Green. As long as he stays in hiding, he's a fugitive from justice. Well, he may be just that, but he's also still alive. So you two sprouts, have yourselves a good time and go looking for him. I got a lucky silver dollar so you don't catch him. But if I were a betting man, I'd take that. Goodbye. Goodbye, boys. Oh, I just remembered where I left my key. <laughs> in my pocket. <laughs> you know, I wish I had that kind of memory. Goodbye, Mrs. Hart. Just call me Ma, son. Ma Harbony. All right, goodbye, Ma. Well, Richard, what do you think now? Pat, um, I'll be hanged if I know what to think. Hmm. You know something? For once, your intuition was working overtime. There seems to be plenty about Cutter Down that could stand looking into it. There certainly is. And yet, you know, Mahogany is an eccentric old woman. There's no telling how much truth there is in that story of hers. No, it can't be positive, but it sounded pretty straight. I know, I know it did, but you know how warped a mind can get when it starts to brood over a fancied injustice. Why, the most improbable things eventually get all mixed up with the truth. Well, yes, I know, but you and the... Don't up, Pat, and just keep acting natural, but we're being trailed. Trailed? By whom? I can't tell yet. Someone picked us up right after we came out of Mahogany's. First, I thought it was my imagination, but I've noticed him three times since. Well, if you've noticed him three times, that doesn't sound like the best shadowing I've ever heard of. I'm not so sure, Pat. It may be better than we think. Oh, now, look, Richard, please don't go off on a mysterious kick again. Go on, explain yourself. I've got a funny feeling that whoever it is wants us to see him. Wants us to... What for? We'll soon know. Uh-uh. There he goes. Up toward the top of the ridge. Yeah, oh, I, I see him now. A big fella in lumbering boots with a mackinaw turned up around his face. Uh-huh. There he goes into that little thicket. Okay, Pat, let's go. Up there, after him? But it may be a trap. I'm sure it is, but uh, as I've said before, you'll never know what a trap is unless you walk into it. So, they wrote in the obituary column, he was a gay, mad, impetuous lad. It's too bad he died young. Look, Richard, has it ever occurred to you that someday even I may not be able to save you? Frankly, it hasn't, Pat. I have complete faith in you. Oh. Did our friend come out on the other side of that thicket? No, I don't think so. I also don't think I can climb any higher up this slope without jet propulsion. Oh, it's not so bad. Just straight up. Just keep thinking that Dick, the... Dick, look out! In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. But first... Have you ever wondered how come ABC's comic team, Abbott and Costello, work together so smoothly? Well, you have only to look back to their early days in vaudeville. When they first began, vaudeville was in the condition where audiences had a habit of uh, interrupting the act in question, and if some act appeared that was not very good, 
The audience showed disapproval in, shall we say, tangible forms, such as throwing vegetables. Well, this experience taught Abbott and Costello that the comedy act had to be good, and their act had to be funny. And yet, for all their years of experience, Abbott and Costello are young in years. Their theatrical experiences began when they were both at tender aces. After touring every large city, plus the tank town, Abbott and Costello landed in the big time, and from there went on to radio, where they delighted millions of listeners who liked their humor on the Abbott and Costello scale. Without fail, Abbott plays the straight man to Costello's clowning, and whenever possible, tries to make him the fall guy, which people eat up. Take your laughs the easy way by listening to the Abbott and Costello Show, which is on the air every Wednesday night on most ABC stations. And now, back to Dick Tracy. Dick! Dick, look out! Look them out! I see him. The giant paws rolling straight down. Are Dick Tracy and Pat Patton all right? Or have they been caught in that landslide? Better be sure to tune in tomorrow for the adventures of Dick Tracy. Written for radio by John Ray and Everett S. Crosby. And this is George Gunn speaking. The various countries of the world may have a difficult time understanding each other's customs, but there's one thing that every nation understands about another. It's music. Great music. The kind the Boston Symphony Orchestra presents. This famous orchestra plays the music of all lands. The works of composers in America or Great Britain, in France, Germany, Russia, Poland, Italy, and Norway. Music has always played an important role in portraying the national life and culture of a nation. And so by hearing the country's finest music, one is better able to understand that particular land. So don't miss the Boston Symphony on the air tonight on most ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Behold my process. Ooh, yeah, let me tell you something right here, huh? It's the Loop Crate subscription box, yeah, full of exclusive loop on surprises delivered to your door every month. Just pick up your favorite geeky genre, daddy. <laughs> From the original Loop Crate, the Loop Crate DX collectible boxes, dude. Cowabunga! To the Loot Gaming video game box. Woohoo! Yeehoo! Browsers! With crates starting as large as 11 dollars per month, there's a box just about for all collectors in. To get your geek on, head over to phoenixmedia.us forward slash loot crate and claim your exclusive offer. That's f-e-n-i-x media dot u-s forward slash loot crate. Great Scott! Snap into a loot crate, it! You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy on the case of a poisonous timber. Stand by, Fraction. Let's go, men. We'll listen to today's Dick Tracy adventure in just a minute. 170 years ago today, there occurred an event that will always live in American history. It was on December 19th, 1777, that General George Washington took his army of 11,000 men to Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. From your history lessons, most of you know how the men suffered from the hunger and the cold. How they tied rags around their bleeding feet to protect them from ice and snow. 
In spite of difficulties, Washington and his poorly clothed army stayed at Valley Forge. There, they were in a position to protect Congress from the British. The Continental Congress was then located at York, Pennsylvania. Although the men suffered horribly from the elements, they were turned into a well-drilled and disciplined army under the training of Baron Steuben. After seven months, they entered Valley Forge. They were able to reoccupy the important city of Philadelphia, which had been in the hands of the British. Just think, boys and girls, 170 years ago today, the fate of our country, the United States of America, rested in the hands of General George Washington and an army of only 11,000 men. And now, Dick Chasing. Called to the Northwoods on a complaint by Cutter Down, wealthy lumber tycoon, that he was a victim of a frame-up, Dick Tracy and Pat Patton have now begun to feel that Cutter is himself the criminal. Going to an abandoned sawmill to get possession of a lease that Cutter Down is suspected of forging, they found the old safe had been recently broken open and its contents removed. They were about to leave the mill when Pat Patton saw an old-fashioned water wheel and decided to get inside it. But he had no sooner done this when the wheel began to turn, trapping Pat inside on a steadily speeding treadmill. You gotta stop the wheel. I can't run any faster, and I can't get out through the smoke. There's no way to shut off the water in time. I've got to try and jam the wheel. Get set, Pat. I'm going to shove this board into the smoke. Okay, but hurry. Uh, uh, it's no use. The smoke tear off this board like matchwood. I only had a pipe or a piece of metal. I have, Tracy. Step aside. What the? Where did you come from? No time for that now. He loses his footing and falls into the smoke to be chewed to miss me. This rifle barrel may stop the wheel. Fire, that's our only hope. I don't think I can stop it, but I may be able to pull it enough for him to jump out. Watch it, Pat. Jump when you think you can make it. If I've got enough strength to jump. The barrel's starting to bend. I'll never get it any slower than this. I'm afraid you're right. Pat, you'll have to try it now. All right. Stand aside. Well, what do you know? I made it. Yeah. And as pretty a swan dive onto a wooden floor as I ever saw. Oh, brother, look at that wheel spin now. Oh, boy, it'd be just too bad if you were still in there. Well, mister, I guess we owe you quite a lot of thanks. Green's the name. Forest Green. I know. I recognize you. May I see that rifle? Why not? Twenty-five, thirty-five, eh? Is this your only rifle? It was my only rifle. The way the barrel's ran, it's only useful for shooting around corners now. It is a little on the wavy side. And now that I've got nothing to defend myself with, I suppose you'll be arresting me. No, I think not. What? Say, let's get away from this internal water wheel so that we can hear ourselves think. Yeah, good idea. Now, I don't want you to take pity on me just because I saved your pal's life. Mister, you're barking up the wrong tree. That's the kind of thing I do. Richard here doesn't know the meaning of the word pity when he's dealing with criminals. You both misunderstand me. I'm acting strictly within the law. Elucidate. Well, Pat, our job was to arrest Forrest Green on the charge of misappropriating Christmas trees. But cut her down, withdrew that charge. Sure, but we've been deputized to find the killer of Pierre. Quite so. But the local sheriff didn't name Forrest Green by name. No, he told us to capture a person or persons unknown who, by means of a thirty-eight caliber bullet, did commit a homicide on the person of one Pierre the Trapper. As you can plainly see, Forrest Green isn't carrying a thirty-eight caliber rifle. Fitted with all the finesse of a first-rate actor. Uh, you're picking up new tricks. Maybe so, Pat, but it's also entirely legal. Nobody's actually sworn out a murder charge against Forrest Green. Until they do, we're under no obligation to arrest him. Well, where's the hooker, Tracy? What do I have to do in return? Tell me, Green, why are you so suspicious of everybody? <laughs> I think I've got a pretty good right to be suspicious. I'm the victim of one of the neatest frame-ups of all time. And that's just why I'm not arresting you. I'm convinced that you really have been framed. That sounds almost too good to be true. Outside of Piney and Ma Hargany, 
Well, you're the first person who didn't think I was a double-dyed villain. <laughs> you don't know what a boost it gives you to, well, to have someone believe in you. Yes, I think I do. And I want to help you. But you have to help me. Oh, Aunt I'd say he's helped us already. He's hardly helped me anyway. Well, I couldn't see you get chopped up in that wheel, and yet I knew that I'd have to ruin my life for a savior. It was about the toughest decision I ever made. Tell me, do you know who opened the valve and let the water into the wheel? No. I didn't trust you two, and I thought I'd follow you when you let more hoganies and see what you were up to. And then all of a sudden, the wheel started to turn, and there wasn't time to go up and find out who opened the valve. How far up the mountain is the valve located? Ooh, about two, three hundred yards. Huh? There's an old concrete dam up there, and the water's brought down through an old-fashioned wooden pipe. You can see the pipe coming down the mountain through an open end of the mill. And the joker who turned on the water could see me get into the wheel through that same open end. And he also undoubtedly saw Forrest Green come in and save you. So whoever it is we're fighting knows by now that we've teamed up with Forrest Green. And when that news gets back to Cutter down, I'll bet he loses four of his five remaining hairs. You don't think, then, that it's Cutter who turned the water on? No. No, Cutter would have lost his head and started shooting when he saw our scheme backfire. But this fellow doesn't seem to enjoy being shot back at. He got out fast enough yesterday when you fellas threw a little lead in his direction. And you have no idea who it could be? Mm, nope. It's not a real woodsman, which practically eliminates everyone but Owen Gold. And somehow I can't see old Budget Head as a crafty killer. Well, we've got to find out who it is, and soon... Now, here's what I propose to do. One hundred. One hundred and seven. One hundred thirty-four. That makes... One hundred eighty-six thousand dollars. Bad. Very bad. Let's see. That uh, makes a deficit of almost... What's this uh, soliloquy that I seem to be disturbing? I, uh, I was just totaling up a few figures, and they uh, aren't good. They can wait. I want to talk about something really important. This is important, Cutter. You're losing money, and you're losing it fast. How far in the red am I? $186,000 since last July. Uh, that was when you refinanced with that last big bank loan. Yes, I know. Why are we doing so badly, Owen? Poor production, mainly. You're not getting the stuff out fast enough. And that last log jam certainly didn't help. It seemed like a good idea at the time. Forrest Green had to be eliminated from the scene, or I stood to lose a lot more than 186000 I stood to lose everything. Yes, but the jam didn't get rid of Forrest Green. And now he's teamed up with Tracy and Patton. Uh, looks like you'll have to think up some scheme to get rid of all three of them. Owen, that's what I came here to talk to you about. Eh? I have thought up several good schemes, and you've messed up every blessed one of them. Uh, I, uh... I just had unusually bad luck lately. Yes. Uh, could I help it if the log jumped over their heads? Or if that infernal virus green had to turn up in time to save Patton from the water wheel? Excuses. Excuses. Seems to me that you're the most unskilled killer that I've ever had on the payroll. I did get Pierre, remember? Well, how could you miss with poor old Pierre standing out in the moonlight and me twisting his hound's tail and making him holler so you'd be sure to know where we were? And anyway, I told you not to kill Pierre, just to wing him. Oh, uh, yeah. He made such a good target that I couldn't resist. Oh, you make me sick. When I kill, it's something to be proud of. Take Axel Tree, for instance. But but he drowned accidentally when the log jam broke up. Yes, that's what everybody thought. But you remember that it was Axel who caused the log jam on my orders, and I wanted to make sure that he didn't talk. And so when I got the chance, I drowned him with my own two hands as we fought in the icy waters. You sound like a bad translation of a French epic poem. I'd be a little careful how you talk to me, Owen. My record in homicide is slightly better than yours. I suppose I ought to be terrified, but I'm not. 
And if you ever try to get me out of the way, you'd better be sure you succeed the first time. Yes? Yes. What I know about you would make really wonderful reading. How you killed old Beaver Hogany and forged the lease. How you set fire to the cabin and burned up Piney Wood's parents. And when Piney herself survived and grew up, how you tried to marry her. Stop it, Owen. I've heard enough. And let me remind you of one thing. There was one other man who knew all those things. That's right. Axel Tree. Yes, and he's dead. And that leaves only you. And when you're dead, there'll be no one who knows about it. No one. That's always assuming that I don't get you first. Oh, no, no. That's the beautiful part of it. I have everything to gain from your death, and so eventually I'll bring that about. But you have nothing to gain from mine, and that money-grubbing little soul of yours will force you to keep me alive in the hope that you can squeeze some blackmail out of me, which, of course, you can't. <laughs> what a delightful situation. Awfully <laughs> smug. Awfully sure, aren't you? That's right. And now suppose we drop this unhappy subject. I have no intention of eliminating you from the scene. Yet. You're far too useful to me. But only as a business manager, mind you. You think you're smart? I'm quite sure of it. Owen, my old and trusted friend, I am through fooling. Dick Tracy and Pat Patton and Forrest Green have arrived at the end of their respective trails because I am taking over. I'm sure they'd be interested to know that. No, Owen, they wouldn't. They wouldn't like to know what I have in store for them. In a moment, we'll return to the Tracy. But first, kids, what does Saturday mean to you? Well, no school probably pops up in your mind first. And that's followed by fun. Everybody likes to have fun on Saturdays. Well, here's an extra special way to enjoy yourselves every Saturday morning. Just gather around that radio of yours and listen to the Abbott and Costello Kids Show. Now, here's a show that was designed just for you. With those famous comedians, Abbott and Costello, up to all sorts of hilarious goings-on. Abbott and Costello conduct a whole bunch of contests on this Saturday morning fun fest. Why don't you see if you can outguess the contestants on the air? And in addition to this, you'll hear from many of your favorite stars of stage, screen, and radio. Stars like old Butch Jenkins and Margaret O'Brien. And here's the biggest feature of all of them. Each week, there'll be a Luke Costello Award of the Week. A $500 bond will go to the boy or girl who has performed the outstanding deed of the week. It sounds like a lot of excitement, doesn't it? Well, it is. Every Saturday morning, when the Abbott and Costello Kids Show gets underway, it means prizes and surprises galore. So be around your radio tomorrow morning and every Saturday morning for the Abbott and Costello Kids Show on most ABC stations. And now, back to the Tracy. Dick, I wonder what Cutter Down's up to. He's been awfully quiet lately. Too quiet, Pat. He's up to something, and I don't like it. I think we'd better keep our eyes open. And indeed they had, if they intend to catch him. Well, we'll cut her down and strike next. Better be sure to tune in Monday for the adventures of Dick Tracy. This is George Gunn speaking. Here's one story in which a $10 investment really paid off. It's the story of Lassie, the celebrated collie star of ABC's Sunday afternoon series. Lassie was just an ordinary pooch called Pal until Rudd Weatherwax, the noted dog trainer, took over. Although he'd purchased Pal for only $10, he thought the dog could be groomed and trained for possible movie starting. And eventually, Pal, or Lassie, was a movie star, rivaling the late Rin Tin Tin in popularity. On Lassie, the unique program written around the collie, you hear stories of a dog's courage and understanding. Don't miss Lassie every Sunday afternoon on most ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now... 
listen to today's Dick Tracy adventure, did you boys and girls know that although yesterday was actually Cornelius McGillicuddy's 85th birthday, today is the day he's celebrating, and so is everybody else who loves baseball, because Cornelius McGillicuddy is none other than Connie Mack, Mr. Baseball himself. You see, when the manager of that famous baseball team, the Philadelphia Athletics, was 75, he discovered that his birthday was really December 22nd. He decided that after celebrating December 23rd for 75 years, it was too late to change. Because of Mac's managerial ability, the A's are always a dangerous team. And no other baseball manager has won as many championships as Connie Mack. As a matter of fact, his teams were so great at times that people just wouldn't go to see them play. They knew the A's would win. And since baseball teams need money, Connie Mack was forced to break up his teams two different times. You athletes will want to join in our salute to the man who started life working in a shoe factory at the age of 16 and who is still going strong as the grand old man of baseball, Connie Mack, 85 years young today. And now, Dick Tracy. Finally convinced of the complete innocence of Forrest Green, Dick Tracy and Pat Patton have teamed up with him in an attempt to trap the nefarious cutter down. Going to the scene of winter logging operations, Tracy extracts some valuable information from an obviously unfriendly lumber foreman. At this moment, however, Pat Patton arrives on the scene and despite Tracy's shouts of warning, walks directly into the path of a falling tree. Hey, Joe! Looks like that tree there fell right into two bullets. Yeah, sure did. Well, I guess we might as well take him out. Hey, look, look! Right there! There's the one you was talking to! Yeah. He must have got out of the way! Yeah, looks like it. Come on. Let's go over and talk him again. Hey, sure. Most of the thing I've seen in the life was Hey, there. It was kind of close. This must be your lucky day. Lucky? I couldn't run fast enough to pull Pat out of the way. You mean you couldn't run fast enough to get killed? You don't know when you're well off. For heaven's sake, man, will you stop paddling and help me get Pat out of there? Patience, mister. Patience. All right, fellas. Get in there and bring out that body. You're being a little premature, aren't you? Oh, he's dead, all right. Gotta be. Big tree like that smack on top of him. You don't know, Pat. He's pulled out of more hopeless spots than this. Yeah? Can't be any more hopeless than dead, mister. And that's what he is. Hey, here he is! He's still breathing! Uh, what did I tell you? Uh, he won't last long. Probably conk out any minute. Let me look at him. No. No, it doesn't seem to be any bones broken. No, he was bracketed by these two limbs here, and he fell right between them. One of those little ones up there must have clipped him right on the head. Hey, uh, help me get him out in the open. Leave him alone, man. Don't touch him. Say, what's the idea? He's dead. Just hasn't got sense enough to stop breathing. My men aren't going to go carrying any steps around. All right, then. I'm a special deputy sheriff, and I asked them in the name of the law to help me. <laughs> Mister around these parts, cut it down to the law. What he says goes. And does he also pass out the instructions for murder? Friend, I don't like that. 
fact, I don't like anything about you. That's a matter of complete unconcern to me. But if you're looking for a fight, I'd suggest you put that axe down first. You betcha. Day that I need an axe to kick the stuffing out of the toughest city fellow that ever lived. That's the day I quit the lumber business. Well, I hope you're well fixed financially yeah. because you've just resigned. Well, you. Fancy, oh, Dan. Huh? I'll show you. How do you like this kind of fighting? It's a funny thing, but dirty fighters are always yellow. Yeah? I can't take a hard punch like this. Are you... Or this. Now, do you feel still think you can say, Uncle? Oh, yeah? I'll show you who's yellow, you dirty fellow. You look better on the ground. Like that. You want to play some more? All right. All right, don't hit me again. I've had enough. Just like I said. Now, will you men help me take care of Pat? Well, we sure will, Pat. Come on. Well, he certainly took care of that loudmouth, Joel. You know, son, he's been talking to tough nobody around camp had enough nerve to choose it. I think he'll be a little subdued from here on in. Now, let's lift Pat and... Nobody's lifting Pat. I am quite able to lift myself. Pat, when did you wake up? Just a few minutes ago. Well, why didn't you say something? I miss a good fight? <laughs> oh. I'd have never forgiven myself if I hadn't seen that. It sure was a beauty. <laughs> Richard, you know something? I'm proud of you. Thanks, Patrick. Ah, not at all. It was really wonderful. Every minute of it. Oh. But you know, I warned you before about eating with your right. What? That guy'd been a little faster. He'd have nailed you. Oh, Patrick, go back to sleep. You were funnier that way. Come on. Think you can walk all right? Sure, why not? <laughs> As you're so fond of fighting out, it was only my head that was hurt. Let's go, then. Right. And, uh, Joe. Yeah? I should have thought your mother would have warned you about playing games with strangers. <laughs> so long, men. If you see Forrest Green, be sure to get in touch with me. <laughs> oh, Richard, I'm surprised at you. That wasn't a nice thing to do. What? Well, now those men have spent all their time looking for Forrest Green instead of working like little beavers. Cutting trees for that nice cutter down. Well, that's really quite a shame, isn't it? Certainly. Bless my soul if it isn't the villainous Forest Green. <laughs> Say, don't you know there's a price on your head? Oh, really? Well, if the price is right, I'll sell. You better hold out a little while longer. I understand all prices are going even higher. <laughs> Uh, Tracy, before I forget it, that's yeah. an elegant fight. Oh, oh you certainly Thanks. put the chill on Joe Balsam, the terror of the lumber camps. The terror of... <laughs> if that guy's the terror of the lumber camps, they're certainly easily frightened of you. Well, it's like that other guy said. I've heard Joe threaten and bully and shout for years. But I can't ever recall seeing him actually fight before. Well, he certainly picked a bad time for his coming out party. Oh, he did at that. Now everyone in this part of the country will want to take a crack at him for some of the things he's made them swallow. Oh, but uh, tell me, Dick. What did you find out? Something pretty important. Cut her down, personally ordered those two trees cut. It wasn't very smart of him. Uh, because it's reasonably certain that there was something on those trees that he didn't want seen. Yeah, if you ask me, it was pretty stupid. Would have been better for him to have blamed the marks on Forrest here. But you know what? I guess he got panicked. Yeah, uh, yeah, cutters like that. Loses his head when the screws start to tighten. He'd have been cut long ago if he hadn't had Owen Doe to hold him down in the pinches. Well, that'll give us a lead, then. What we've got to do is just to keep putting the pressure on him and keep him worrying until he breaks and does something really incriminating. Yeah, I think you're right, Dick. Well, in the meantime, come on, let's go back to Mahogany's. Seems to me she said something about uh, hot coffee when we got back. Good idea, Pat. Well, uh... Oh, wait a minute, Pat. Hmm? You've still got a vine or something clinging to you. Word, what do you know? That's the luck of the Irish. 
Some people would have been killed when that tree fell on them. But I come out of it with vine leaves in my hair. Yeah, but this vine happens to be poison ivy. Well, it doesn't make any... Poison? Oh, oh, I'm feeling a little faint, fellas. <laughs> I don't think I long for this world. But you have the luck of the Irish to protect you. Oh. So you have nothing to worry about. Nothing at all. Boy, the days are certainly short. It's pitch black already. Yeah, and it's snowing again, too. The likes of Mahogany's cabin up ahead are really welcome. I can taste that coffee already. They're welcome for another reason, too. So give me a chance to look in the window first and see if she's alone. That's a wise precaution. Uh, oh, there she is alone, reading. Oh, I wonder where Piney is. There's one way to find out. Come in, boys. Come in. Be quick about it. Where's Piney, Ma? Well, she got nervous here without you, and so she went out for a little walk. Said she was gone up by the ridge. Oh, I think I'll go look for her. Yeah, that's a good idea. There'll be a moon in a few minutes. You better not waste it. <laughs> you know, I thought that was real cute. So uh, romantic-like. Yeah, you're still young when you go looking for your girl before you've had a cup of coffee. Mm, ain't it the truth. But you know, I was reading about this here Cleopatra. You know, she weren't much younger than me when she got in all that mess with Mark Antony. No, I guess she wasn't. And so, I guess maybe there's hope for the old girl here yet, huh? <laughs> well, I'm the same. Have some coffee, huh? You talk me into it. Did you say something? Who? I thought one of you fellas said something. Sounds like somebody outside. Well, could it be Forrest and Piney back so soon? It wasn't by the door. Sounded as though it came from this side. Hmm. It's a bear. I could smell it if it was a bear. You mean to say you could tell if it was a bear outside just by the smell? My sure thing. It smelled kind of hot and heavy. And I'm sure it's no deer. I can smell a deer a mile away if the wind's right. They smell sort of musky like. That's no animal. That's a person out there. Well, what's he doing around the back then? Here, fetch me my horse pistol, son. Never mind. I'll do any shooting that's required. Look, there's something outside that window. I shine my light on it. Good. Well, it's a man, all right. But what's the matter with him? He looks... Oh, no. No, it can't be. What's the matter? It's not possible. It just can't be. What can it be? Who is it? It's... It's Axel Tree. In a moment, we'll return to Dick Tracy. At first... Christmas Eve, we invite you to join us when we present a dramatization of Charles Dickens' famous story, A Christmas Carol, in place of our regular Wednesday night program, Mayor of the Town. And as the star of the show, we'll bring you the mayor himself, Lionel Barrymore, in the role of Scrooge, characterization for which he is well known throughout the country. Scrooge is one of Barrymore's most distinguished portrayers, one known by more people, perhaps, than any other ever heard on the air. This will mark the twelfth year Mr. Barrymore has played the role, and speaking of it, he has said... There's something I feel of Scrooge at the moment I assume his character. I seem to shrink, and an unnatural meanness of disposition comes over me. A Christmas Carol is a story men, women, and children alike enjoy, a story your whole family will want to hear, for it's a story in the traditional Christmas tradition, the tale of a cold man who's quite as gladdened by the Yuletide and who learns the true meaning of giving and generosity. Tomorrow night, listen to Lionel Barrymore as Scrooge in A Christmas Carol on the most of these same ABC stations. Now, back to Dick Tracy. Who did you say it was? Axel Key. Well, he's dead. 
Who or what is the wild-eyed creature standing outside in the snow? Can it be Axel Tree? And if it is, will he be able to shed any light on the insidious operations of Cutter Down? Better be sure to tune in tomorrow for The Adventures of Dick Tracy. Written for radio by John Ray and Everett S. Crosby. And this is George Gunn speaking. The greatest music of the world, superbly interpreted by one of America's finest symphonic orchestras. The Boston Symphony, which we present every Tuesday evening over the most ABC stations. As director of these weekly concerts, we bring you Serge Kutovetsky, who has been acclaimed both here and abroad for his fine conducting. In choosing selections for the Boston Symphony programs, Mr. Kutovetsky tries to include, during each season's broadcast, works by composers from many lands. Thus, you hear the most memorable music of England, France, Russia, Czechoslovakia, Italy, Norway, Finland, and America. So be sure to listen to the Boston Symphony tonight on most ABC stations. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. You're tuning in to Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater, presented by Phoenix Media. And now, Dick Tracy! This is Dick Tracy on the case of the big black box. Stand by for action. Let's go, men. Yes, it's Dick Tracy, protector of law and order. Tracy fans long ago, when there were no big cities as we know to today, New Year's Eve was celebrated by dancing in the streets, singing, the ringing of church bells, and lots of merriment. Many people welcomed in the New Year in their homes. Well, the custom hasn't changed very much. Nowadays, there are usually one of two ways that people celebrate ushering in another year. Folks attend watch night services in churches all over the country. Other people celebrate with carnivals in the main section of town. Or they have gay parties in their homes or in hotels and restaurants. Here in New York City, both these ways are celebrated on a big scale. There are famous, impressive services uptown at Riverside Church, which end with the carillon ringing in the new year. But in glamorous Times Square, hundreds of thousands of people throng up and down Broadway with noisemakers of every description. A few minutes before midnight, there's a stillness on the Great White Way as chimes ring out to old Lang Syne, old folks at home, and other favorites until midnight. And then the noise breaks out all over again, greater than before. For Tracy fans, tomorrow starts another year. Let's all try to make it a happy one. And now, Dick Tracy... On the train that was speeding them toward a three-week vacation, Tracy and Patton met a fabulous character named Umpa Papa the Great. Umpa professed an ability to cure any illness. And from a desire to learn more of his activities, Tracy persuaded Patton to acquire a sudden and unknown malady. Umpa prescribed a cure in his California salubritarium. As yesterday's episode ended, Dick and Pat discovered that they'd been locked in their room in the salubritarium. Tracy, the more I hang around with you, the more I regret it. Don't be bitter, Patrick. Will you give me one concrete reason why I shouldn't be? Well, uh, pretty soon it'll be New Year's Eve. You say that as if I were supposed to be happy at the prospect of greeting 1948 from a couple of rooms in an isolated mansion on top of a mountain in Southern California, in the rain. Well, aren't you? It's beneath my dignity to answer that. I'm anxious to see Umpa Papa the Great. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's a lot of laughs. He comes in here and going to blast him. No, you're not, Pat. You're going to be Pat Paragon, who's very sick and hoping that the Oompa can cure him. Oh, Dick, listen. Let's knock off this masquerade. Not until we've solved the Oompa's racket. All right. I'm getting weaker and weaker and weaker. 
And this time I'm not kidding. I'm starving to death. Well, uh, Rusty Blade, the butler, said he was going to send us some food. Sure, he also said he was going to hang up our clothes. So what did he do? Wipe our guns and lock us in here. Now, look here, Pat. Calm down for a minute and be practical. Umpa Pampa the Great is... Casey, do you believe that name? Will you listen? Umpa, as I was saying, must be in this racket to make money. He thinks you're a rich man, and he also thinks he's convinced you that you're sick. It's to his advantage to keep you happy and keep you duped. In a little while, he'll be along with some golden words and some food. Oh, keep talking, Richard. I feel better already. And what's more, the food should be good. Something he'd eat himself, like unsalted crackers and distilled water. Oh, you black-hearted mistake for an officer of the law. I believe you've joined forces with the Oompa to drive me crazy. Honestly, I haven't, Pat. Then why am I the poor guy? Why do I have to pretend to be sick? Because you're such a good actor. Well, of course you have a point there. The whole success of trapping this fellow devolves on you. Hey, but wait a minute. Supposing this guy isn't just in it for money. Supposing he's nuttier than the Waldorf salad. What then? Well, then we'll just have to shoot it off the cuff. Yeah, the only shooting we'll do will be with our cuffs. He's got our guns. And while you're playing with your cuffs, I'm likely to be taking the Oompa's treatment in that electronic gizmo he's talking about. Oh, you mean the electronic thermodynaminator and cosmic health dispenser. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's the thing that he sells. That's his racket. I'm anxious to see how it works. Well, I'm not. It'll be lots of fun, won't it, to see me sitting in the thing and Oompa, Papa, the Schmapa, hooting and hollering around and pulling switches while my knees are slapping together and my hair is pointing north to the magnetic pole and lightning shoots out of my ears. It'll be magnificent, Pat. Well, I wish you'd get some other guinea pig to try it on. Now, Pat, you'll feel better after you've had your crackers. Oh! And at another part of the Salubritarium, we find Oompa Papa the Great and his remarkable butler, Rusty Blade. Sir? How long are you going to keep him sweating? Oompa Papa the Great. You have a rare gift full of objectionable language. Thanks. And that's the perfect answer to my question, I suppose. I shall graciously bestow my presence on the Messrs. Richard Tracer and Pat Balligan in a few moments. If they worry a bit now, the greater their relief when they see me. Yeah, sounds smart enough to me. I wish you to have food sent to them right away. Okay, what do we give them? Wait, Spark, not tonight. Give them a real meal. It will uh, put them in a more receptive mood to part with their money. Well, uh, are these guys loaded? Of course. I wouldn't have lured them here to the Sagittarius Battalion if they weren't. If things go as I plan, I expect to separate them from about 10,000 in the next couple of days. Seem good. Of course. 10,000 is cheap enough for a person to pay to regain his health. Is that Irish one really sick? I have persuaded him that he is. I've played enough suckers to know the words they want to hear. Yeah, I know. Oompa, Papa the Great, knows everything. Oh, forgive me. Every once in a while, I forget. Yes, you do. What's that? Search hmm? me. Who's guarding the gate? Fritz? If someone has broken in, I'll have Fritz played alive. Quick, hide behind that curtain. We'll see who comes. If I signal you, grab him. I got you. Who's there? It's me, Harris. Oh, Papa the fake. Mr. Harris, what is the meaning of this intrusion? I just thought I'd drop in to see you. I thought you might be interested in knowing how I was. You hardly seem in a condition to call on anyone, Harris. Really? Isn't that too bad? How did you get in here? I walked in. Your guard down at the gate seemed quite willing to let me pass. I don't believe you. Anyway, I shall have him investigate. Yes, why don't you do that? Harris, I actually think you are ill. At least your mind seems to be somewhat unbalanced. <laughs> That's always possible, Oompa. I am called Oompa Papa the Great. I do not... Tolerate contraction. That's a great pity. 
because you may have to listen to some this evening. I think you'd better go. I'll go when I'm ready. I'm not ready. I have a few things to say to you first. Either leave or I'll have you thrown out. I don't think you will. I refuse to debate the point. You'll find out soon enough. I'm sure you'll excuse me now. I have much to do. Stay where you are, Opa. I'm in no mood to humor you. Oh, so now we are going to play with guns, are we, Mr. Hurst? Yes, we are. And I'm an excellent shot. That's very possible. But why do you want to make me a subject for your skill? Just possibly because you deserve it. You are a fool. Put your gun away and get out of here. I'm going to make a call to the Los Angeles General Hospital in a little while. And I may or may not have to use my gun on you, depending on the answer I get. You're talking in riddles. As I said before, I think your mind is deranged. Uh, You'll think differently when I tell you that my wife is a patient at the hospital. Oh, so that's it. Yes, that's it. Your wife's sickness has nothing to do with me. On the contrary. It has everything to do with you. Huh? Right now, she is dangerously, probably fatally ill. The doctors say that if she'd come to them several months ago... There'd be no question but that she'd be well. Ridiculous. But she didn't go to a doctor. You got to her instead and talked that phony line of yours. That, that, that. And heaven knows you're excellent enough. Your wife probably didn't follow my advice. She followed it all right. That's why she may be dying. No. That's a lot of nonsense. There's one other little item. My wife is a charity patient at the hospital. Because my life savings went to buy that electronic gadget of yours. I told her not to get the thing, but you had her so duped that she thought it would cure anything. I have never made such claims for the electronic thermodynaminator, nor have I ever attempted to diagnose a disease or prescribe for one. Just remember that. Oh, I know. You're very careful not to break any laws. Of course. And that's why I'm out here with this gun. I'm going to break a law. The one about murder. If my wife dies. You rattle like an hysterical old woman. I'm bored with it. Don't move! I have no intention of moving, but it's time Rusty Blade did. I think so, too. Thank you, Rusty. Take the gun out of the way. He's trying to reach it. Everything's under control, Umpa Papa. Don't make a move, Harris, or I'll slice you like a salami. They don't call me Rusty Blade just because of me hair. Well, this makes my record for failure... 100% perfect. I'm going up to the West Wing to see our guest. More suckers on the hook, eh? Rusty, you will come up as soon as you can and bring their dinner. The chef will have it hot in the oven. What'll I do with Harris here? Take him outside and push him down a mountain. Oh, great heavens, no. I can't afford to let him loose now. He can't touch me legally, but he can make a lot of them unpleasant publicity. We'll keep him until tomorrow anyway. Maybe forever. Uh, give him the bridal suite, the one with bars. I dig you, Master Oompa Popper. You know, I've heard of starving explorers eating their shoes, Richard. Uh, I wonder what they taste like. I don't know, Pat. Well, we'll find out in a minute, because I've reached a point where a boot looks very tasty. If the shoe fits, put it in. Oh, even your bad puns can't distract me. You know something? I'm hungry. Whoever that is, I'm going to eat them. Good evening, gentlemen. Welcome to the Salubritarium. Greetings, Umpire Papa the Great. And how are you feeling, Mr. Pedagon? Me? Oh, I'm getting weaker we we greatly appreciate your hospitality, but the truth of the matter is that, well, neither of us had a chance to eat before we came up here, and we're both quite hungry. Well, I had anticipated that, and I have ordered an excellent dinner for you. Dinner? Well, well you wonderful, wonderful man. Uh, of course. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, look, it, it, it uh, isn't going to be just crackers, is it? Oh, crackers. No, tomorrow you shall start a diet, but tonight, 
Tonight, aha, uh-huh, you will have everything. Leave me alone, you! You! If I am a I'll kill you and him both! Good heaven, what was that? Did you hear that? Uh, what was that? Uh, just a dramatic record that <laughs> I was playing for some guests. Oh, yes. Yes, that's a very interesting recipe. In a moment, we'll return to the Tracy. But first, what a wonderful addition to ABC's great lineup of Wednesday night hit shows. It's the star-studded Tony Martin Show. Yes, starting tonight and every Wednesday night, the lively, melody, and mirth-filled Tony Martin Show will follow the Bing Crosby Show over most ABC stations. For melody, there's the popular, romantic voice of Tony Martin, and then, of course, there's the laugh with the delicate air, lovely Evelyn Knight, who's famous for her special interpretations of beautiful folk ballads. But that's not all. You'll also hear the music of the Victor Young Orchestra and the Jeff Alexander Chorus. In the Tony Martin Show's last department, I think you'll roar over the hilarious antics of comedian Alan Young, who specializes in getting into riotous predicaments, predicaments that would have anybody but Alan at his wit's end. But when you hear him, you'll agree that there's no end to Alan's wit. <clears throat> well, here's a program that you're sure to enjoy, The Tony Martin Show. The Tony Martin Show features Alan Young with Evelyn Knight, the Victor Young Orchestra, the Jeff Alexander Chorus, and Jimmy Wallington. So be on hand when it's on the air on most ABC stations tonight at 10.30 in the East and 9.30 elsewhere. And now back to Dick Tracy. Oh, you see, Mr. Harris, it don't do no good to go yelling around. I'd get so excited that I'd beat you up. First, my wife. And now myself. Harris is not the only unfortunate who have been caught in the Umpa's grasp. And what of Dick and Pat? What can they do? Better be sure to tune in tomorrow for The Adventures of Dick Tracy. Produced by Charles Powers. And this is George Gunn speaking. One farewell that won't be sad will be ABC's farewell to 1947. Especially tonight's great Bing Crosby New Year's Eve show. Bing's welcoming two guest stars to help him celebrate. Comedian Danny Thomas and Rudolph Schmohopper. Schmohopper was supposed to appear on a recent Crosby program, but he failed to show up. Just what he'll do on tonight's show is being kept a secret. But there's no mystery about the laughs you'll enjoy with Danny Thomas. After a battle of clips, Danny and Bing will enact a riotous musical sketch that we hope will keep you in stitches. So don't miss Bing Crosby's great New Year's Eve show when it's on most ABC stations tonight. The preceding was transcribed. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company. Get this and previous episodes of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater wherever you get podcasts or by visiting phoenixmedia.us forward slash silverageheroes. Join us again, same bat time, same bat station, for another presentation of Silver Age Heroes Radio Theater. Excelsior!